You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hey everybody, I'm talking with Chris Oliver today. Chris is the creator of GoRails and the CEO and founder of that. Um, he's also a developer and kind of a all-around content creator. Chris, do you want to say hello and talk about what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jacob. Um, yeah, I record screencasts teaching uh, how to build features in Ruby and Rails apps. And uh, I also run a couple other things like a hosting platform called Hatchbox for Ruby apps and Rails apps. And most recently launched a little Rails template that's kind of pre-configured for you to launch, you know, uh, if you have a startup idea or something, you can use that and have payments and teams and all kinds of other like features kind of built for you out of the box. So you can kind of launch new ideas quicker. And that's kind of something that I would have used you know, over the years. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of, uh, what I do currently. Awesome. How did you first kind of develop an interest in the development and kind of software engineering industry? Well, so first, um, you know, I was like many kids, like really enjoyed computer games and stuff like that. And, uh, one day, and I don't really know how old I was. It's It was in grade school at some point, and I think it was around seventh grade or something. And my dad was clearing off a, a bookshelf, just getting rid of some old books and stuff. And one of them that he came across was actually an Atari programming book of his. And he was into computers quite a bit back in the DOS days. So he knew a little bit about how to code and like lots of stuff around how to use DOS. And um, so he gave me that book and was like, yeah, you might enjoy reading this. So I kind of just started to devour that book. But we had at the time like this Magnavox computer that didn't really, we didn't have the Atari that he had the book for. So we found that this Magnavox computer had GW basic on it, which was close enough. And I was able to translate, you know, one-to-one pretty much all of the stuff in that Atari book and teach myself to code. So it was kind of cool, but you know, as a kid, you're like, I want to make video games or whatever. And these books are teaching you how to build calculators and other really basic like command line stuff, no graphics, Definitely no physics, you know, just really, really basic things. And so I ran into kind of programming from that point into uh, getting into high school and stuff where you get into a graphing calculator. And so my interest kind of shifted. I realized like making games is very hard. Basic isn't super great for that, Um, you know, whatever. But then... When I got into school and doing more advanced math stuff, I realized like the calculator can do a lot of these calculations for me. And my original like goal was like, oh, I can just write programs and cheat on my math homework. And ironically, by doing that and building these these little uh, calculation uh, programs like to to not 
to get full credit on your homework, you know, you have to show the work. So I would go and write these programs on my calculator and do it so that it would show the work and I would just copy it down. But I accidentally learned all the math by doing that. <laughs> Plus, um, you know, I learned to code basically. And, and that was the first time that I really was like building something that I could use, which was nice. And some experiments of like building a hang, hangman game and basic and whatever, just, you know, they were fun just to learn, but I didn't know that you could reuse variables and, and cause all this stuff was self-taught. So I was like writing this hangman game where it would fork every time, whether or not you got the guess correct. And so that like became this giant branching tree. And I had written like 38,000 characters worth of code <laughs> just to make like this, this hangman game that only did three letter words. And I'd <laughs> gone through the dictionary and found every three letter word too, you know? So I had a lot of free time as you can tell, <laughs> but like it, that was like really humble beginnings and it took forever to learn anything, but I didn't know at the time because like you're in school and everyone's telling you, Hey, you don't know what you're doing yet. And uh, you're here to learn. And so that was like, you know, the mentality just, okay, cool. Go explore. So uh, yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, where I got started programming. Um, and then from there, I kind of transitioned into like, okay, I can build stuff to do my homework for me, but what's next? Like, you know, windows millennium edition was out and we had a computer that, um, had that on there and I was like playing with some other stuff and, it was like, how do you build like desktop software? How do you draw these GUIs and have buttons and do stuff? And that's kind of where things led at some point. And I tried to learn uh, Visual Basic and stuff, but I didn't have any money, so I couldn't get a, a Visual Studio <laughs> license and that sort of thing. So I started looking at other in other places, and there's all these people online talking about, oh, you know. The, this Linux thing and whatever, and you're kind of afraid to install it as a as a kid on your your parents' computer because you don't want to screw it up. So you know that was always in the back of my mind, and I was like reading up on it and trying to like teach myself Visual Basic, but just didn't it didn't really work out. And eventually, in um, high school, I got my own computer. So one of the first things I did was I installed. Ubuntu Linux on it and oh it was a nightmare like this was before <laughs> like the Wi-Fi drivers didn't even work um, the Nvidia driver did not work at all uh, very easily so you like you would install it and get a very very re low resolution and slow rendering you know desktop but then after that uh, you were kind of screwed because if because I was also on my parents' dial-up, and so mm -hmm. whenever I had messed that up, it would just be a terminal that I could boot into, and that was about it. And so I would go pretty much every week and do a full reinstall of Ubuntu when I would screw it up, and I didn't know any Linux commands. I didn't have a book on it or anything. So what I would find online at school or something in my free time there. I would try and print off or something and take it home and, you know, do what I could. So it was kind of a nightmare learning this stuff, but it was, it was kind of just like 
super fun to explore. There's all kinds of things out there, all this open source free software, which is particularly attractive to a poor high school student. So I eventually went into like, how do I, how do I contribute to the community? Because they were helping on the Ubuntu forums. Basically people were just having conversations about here's the commands you need to do to install that NVIDIA driver. And then you go back the next day and you're like, well, I tried it last night and it didn't work. And I got this and uh, you know, now I'm stuck. So they'll reply with something and you try it again the next night or whatever. And I went through this like really long process there and flash drives are just becoming a thing. And so eventually I had taken a lot of the stuff that people were talking about um, trying to get like my series of laptop working with all of the features enabled. And I started just to compile that into a tutorial, um, which is, you know, foreshadowing to what I do today. Like <laughs> those were the things that really kind of started that. Cause for me, it was like, I partly want to give back and partly just want to organize the stuff because if I ever have to start from scratch on Linux, I have a very long document that I can just like read through and follow the steps and have everything up and running, you know, and that, and that'll work. And anyone else can use that if they have a similar laptop. Mm -hmm. So it turned into, you know, a point where I was like, okay, well, I've written this tutorial um, or organized it um, for many people's contributions. And it became kind of like a one of those like sticky threads in the forums because a lot of people were using that laptop at the time and mm -hmm. having conversations in that thread. So, you know, I knew it was valuable, um, but I wanted to contribute kind of back to you know, just give back to all these people who had helped me. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to learn how to code. So I, I kind of was trying to figure out how can I do something where I'm learning to code and can contribute. And so maybe I need to go build some software that makes some of this stuff easier or something. And I remember I, I had this, I forget the name of the app, but there was some guy who had written a little program to go and uh, help install the NVIDIA drivers and configure some other things. And I remember like this guy is in college and he's doing this and that's really awesome. And I want to be like that guy someday. And uh, you know, every, everybody used his thing and they would all download it and it was open source and whatever. And I was like, man, I'd love to do something like that, but I still had dial up at my parents' house. Um, and so what it turned into eventually was uh, I decided to teach myself, you know, a scripting language uh, because I heard that was like a good way of building like a desktop app. Um, and so I kind of was evaluating Python and Ruby. People were telling me they're very similar and blah, blah, blah. And I settled on Python because Python's pre-installed on Ubuntu. And so that was like, you know, where, where I ended up deciding, like, I'm going to go teach myself Python. And because I had dial up at home, I was having this problem of like, I need to download, say that NVIDIA driver or whatever else, Firefox or, you know, your document or your spreadsheets or, you know, what, whatever other tools you might want. And that's very painful to do on Linux because there's no installer with everything in it. 
Um, you have to use your package manager and it goes and downloads all the dependencies and calculates all those and whatever. And so it's, it became a problem to download stuff on Linux. And I realized like, it'd be really nice if I could run something at school on the windows computers, go in, download everything I needed for Firefox or whatever, and then have it saved to my flash drive and go home and install it. So I did mm-hmm. a lot of research and like, taught myself to reverse engineer just from the log files of um, the apt or aptitude uh, package manager and kind of like watched the URLs that it was downloading (laughs) and then downloaded them myself and read the files because they're all just plain text. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's kind of what I ended up doing was I, I downloaded all those. I found the files on my computer that kept track of what was installed and uh, wrote a Python script to go compare the two and say, well, if I have all these things installed and I want to add Firefox, what do I need? I decided that I was going to use um, like WX widgets or GTK as the like interface uh, editor and stuff for this app. And it's really hard to build stuff, it turns out, between... Um, Windows and Mac and Linux, like desktop apps are quite different because the operating systems are quite different. And uh, yeah, I did figure it out enough that I could run um, this app on Windows at school. It could download Firefox and all the dependencies and it could take it home and install it. So um, after I had like a working version of that, I published it open source and uh, shared it with people on the forums who a lot of times you would see people who were like, I have really bad dial up or no internet at home, but I want to use Linux. And so I would send the link to those people and it was kind of crazy. There was all these people who began to download it and then other people were sharing it because there was like really just no tools that would do something like that in a friendly way. Mine was like the only one with actually, you know, a graphical interface and stuff. And, and so, um, yeah, that's like where I felt like I really became a programmer because it was one of the things that was like finally used by other people. Mm -hmm. And it got to a point where even uh, Linux journal magazine, which I guess just shut down as of like a week or, or so ago, um, they interviewed me and like featured it in their magazine at one point way back when. And so I have a, I remember us running to Barnes and Noble uh, to like check and see if my article was out yet. And I have a copy of that <laughs> somewhere at home. Um, but yeah, long, long winded story, but that was kind of like the very early days of my programming experience. And like to give some context, that was like between say seventh grade and like that app, I was still working in. I was working on it from like senior year of high school to uh, freshman and sophomore year of college. So, how did you go from writing software for yourself and an open source to being someone who was being paid to write code? What was that change? And do you remember like the first time someone paid you to write software? Yeah, so this is a pretty good story too. Um, and I've looked up this this email that I sent, but so to take a step back, like I finished that project, uh, that open source thing kind of and launched it. 
like freshman year of college. So this is like, I'm learning to code over like five years, um, which is not so big of a deal when you're in school, but when you're on your own outside of school or something, it feels like a very long time to try and learn to code over five years. So I'm in school for computer science and freshman year or something, you know, I'm thinking about, am I going to have to get a job like part-time on campus, like, or at McDonald's or something. And I was like, well, if I'm going to school to be a programmer and I've already built some stuff that people use, like, why wouldn't I try and work part-time remotely for someone? And uh, so, yeah, I, freshman year um, was just kind of poking around job boards and stuff online, looking for pretty much anything that would kind of fit someone who was new and didn't have a whole lot of experience, (laughs) which pretty hard to find something like that. Uh, you know, most people want to hire someone who actually knows what they're doing, uh, which makes a lot of sense. But, uh, I stumbled across some guy who was like working on a stealth startup and needed a developer and whatever. So I shot him an email. It's kind of out of the blue. Cause it seemed like, you know, if he is working on a startup, maybe he's willing to take some risk on a programmer you know, because if he doesn't have a whole lot of money to start the startup, then he can get cheaper labor if it's someone who's, you know, newer at programming. So we ended up uh, exchanging a few emails and and uh, he was like, well, here's a programming challenge. And he gave me a, a, a uh, what was it? A very simple mm-hmm. like rail or Django app that I needed to build, like respond to this request build a form, submit that and store the results. And uh, I still have the code somewhere. And it was it's just terrible, terrible code, because I had never done any web development. Um, And that was like the thing that I learned building that app in in college was like, uh, building desktop software is really, really hard to keep it consistent. And it's just uh, ugly to try and build interfaces Mm-hmm. Um, until you have like Electron these days. But uh, it was it was like, wow, if I build it on the browser and the web, I can build it one time and it works on every operating system. That's really nice. I should go do that. So I ended up uh, working with this guy and he sent me that programming challenge and I did it over, I think like a couple days to go build one form and to save things and all that. And he knew I didn't know how to do web development, but he had seen like this other app I built that was open source. So um, he gave me this offer and was like, hey, if you wanna work together, um, we'll just maybe do something like a project and I'll pay Mm -hmm. you say 800 bucks to go build this stuff um, or whatever. And so he sent me that and I was like, you know, a freshman in college kind of freaking out about this because um, it's somebody from San Francisco that I don't know and he's going to give me 800 bucks and whatever. And I was telling my mom about this because, you know, she's the person who's had jobs before and she was hopefully going to give me some good advice. But uh, she was extremely skeptical because mm-hmm. she'd never heard of anything like this and she doesn't know what's going on and who this person <laughs> is and I've never met them. And what about taxes when you're, you know, self-employed and all this? And I'm freaked out after talking to her. So I sent him an email back and was like, well, you know, I was talking to my mom and like, I don't know anything about how I deal with taxes or any of this stuff. And like, I probably just shouldn't do this. 
Um, you know, and I'm in school and I should focus on my schoolwork. Another one of those things my mom was telling me that I should do. And, and so I sent him this email and I still have this email. It's hilarious to read now. Um, but he wrote me back and was like, Hey man, don't worry about it. Like we can figure all that out. It's not too bad. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, work with you on that and be flexible and whatever. And so we ended up working together and that was, uh, you know, the very first time and that was like freshman year of college. So it was a good experience for me to have as well, because by the time I graduated and needed to get a real job, I stood out because I had actually been paid to program, unlike any of the other graduates who were going Mm -hmm. through school trying to get their very first job. So that was like, that was very lucky for me, but also like, you know, I was kind of, I guess, ambitious and putting myself out there. Um, and then that led into a couple other things actually. So as I'm in this Python community and the Linux community, uh, I heard about this Google summer of code thing. And this was the pretty early days of that. Uh, but I did get in because someone had an idea for building a package manager like apt on Windows and Google was going to sponsor that project and they had three students they were going to pay to work on that. And because I had done all this work on my open source project, it was basically a clone. Like I knew mm-hmm. how to do everything they were going to ask for. And so uh, I applied and the guys were, I kept asking them like, would you review my application and like, give me feedback, like whatever. And, and they kind of brushed me off and were like, don't worry about it. Just submit that. You'll be fine. So I got accepted into Google summer of code. They paid me like 5,000 bucks to work for, I don't know, three months during the summer or whatever. And I worked with a guy in Colombia and one guy in India and they were the other two students So I was up at like, I don't know, four in the morning or something for these Skype calls over, I think maybe over dial up. I'm pretty sure we still had dial up at my parents' house. Um, (laughs) And so it was just like this fascinating experience to like chat with these other people around the world and build software with them. And they're also students and, you know, they don't really speak English well. So I had to translate kind of what they intended to say with everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a really good experience to do during college. And, uh, you know, just having done that stuff, I, um, ended up getting referred to a professor at the university who had a grant to do some Ruby on rails projects. And so I ended up getting a job doing that in junior and senior year, I think. And, uh, we worked on building some stuff that took like photos from the Hubble telescope and you would categorize these galaxies and if they had spirals or not and how many tails and whatever. And we take these pictures and then kind of crowdsource categorizing them because there were just so many pictures. Um, and we had several other sites like that, that we were building. That's kind of where I, uh, transitioned from Python to Ruby and then realized like, I went straight to rails and realized like Ruby is not like Python in a lot of ways. (laughs) And there's a whole lot of magic that happens. Whereas Python is very explicit about just about everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really had a gut check there where I was like pretty confident in my Python skills. And then I get this job 
and I have no idea what I'm doing. And six months in, like I was, you know, duct taping things together as best I could. But then I hit a point of like, they asked me to build breadcrumbs for the website and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I Mm -hmm. was like, I need to stop and go learn Ruby itself instead of just hacking together this rail stuff. And, uh, that that I ended up picking up like the metaprogramming Ruby book and it kind of opened my eyes to the philosophy that a lot of Ruby developers use and this I guess intuition that you're a lot of the stuff that you imagine you'll need can kind of already be there and you don't need to know where it comes from it, as long as it's there that's okay um, and so there, there's a lot of that that I realized like we don't have to require and import every little method or feature or whatever from other libraries. Like it's just there. And if we need to access it, we can, but we don't need to worry about that overhead. Um, And so that was a like interesting shift and felt like another kind of level up in my career. Cause it was like, wow. And I've done two languages professionally and been challenged pretty hard by this one. And so that was around the time when I graduated and got a job, uh, uh, my first actual, you know, full-time job as a programmer. Because the rest of these have all kind of been part-time since I was in school. So, yeah, that was uh, kind of my background at the very, very beginning. And I don't usually talk in, in depth too much about all those things, but there was definitely a lot of random experiences that I had in, in the early days. One question I like to ask, and it seems like you had kind of a this gradual ramp into software engineering. And now as someone who uh, really teaches other people as a huge part of your career, it's part of your a huge part of your professional identity. Was there ever a period while you were learning that you felt you weren't qualified to do software development or you had this sensation of imposter syndrome? And has that affected how you teach people? Oh yeah. And I mean, that even happens today all the time. You know, if there's something that you're not, you don't feel particularly confident in, whether it's, you know, uh, your testing skills or something like you feel absolutely like, wow, I've been doing programming for 10 years and I still suck at writing tests. Like you don't feel like you're good enough. And uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to kind of no, like you have to realize it and just invest some time in your free time or whatever, just to practice that until you get better at it. But um, yeah, I, I certainly have spent a lot of time that way when I, you know, got my, any of these jobs, I always felt like I wasn't good enough and mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, you know, I was like, excited to be there and everything like this is what I wanted to do but I'm like you're gonna pay me sixty thousand dollars to do this like that Mm -hmm. that's more money than I've ever heard of and yeah every every single time I felt like that and then I had kind of this over time you start to realize like oh that's okay and you know I happen to be really good at these things and maybe I'm not so good at writing tests or whatever else Um, but I know how to write like really reliable code without tests or something. And then you start to slowly build up your confidence. And then, uh, as you're spending time trying to learn those other things you're not good at, it did go away to an extent, but 
because things change so fast, you know, you, if you haven't kept up with front end frameworks, then you're going to feel like, well, I can do the back end, but I'm not good enough for, you know, building modern single page apps and understanding all this functional programming and stuff. I, it just feels like you build up some confidence and then, you know, things change or you get a new job or something and you kind of feel like you're starting all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also a strange thing that we don't give ourselves enough credit for the stuff we're self-taught. Like mm-hmm. if you go to a Lambda school or if you go to a boot camp or you go to uh, you know, a computer science degree, you think that because you went through some sort of formally organized curriculum that like, you know what you're doing, you don't because they couldn't teach everything. And when you're self-taught, you feel really bad because like you didn't have any curriculum you went through and you don't know if any of it's like practical or something that you can like use at your job. And it's definitely like, it's wrong to think that way just because you went through like some formal curriculum doesn't mean you know it. And just because you self-taught yourself doesn't mean you know it either. And it also means that maybe you learned stuff that was more practical too. You know, a lot of times Mm -hmm. you get computer science, like I went through the computer science degree and it was, you know, so much stuff that I hated because none of it was stuff that was practical. There was a few times where we had like an assembly class that was like, Imagine you're writing code for the lunar rover and we need to compress images from binary, uh, you know, and, and send them back to earth. How do we do that? And so those are really fun where it's like, well, every eight bits is a color and we have a whole bunch of those and it's 40 <laughs> wide, you know, 40 by 40 pixels. And we can build a little color table and compress things. When you do that stuff, it's, it's extremely like practical. You realize mm-hmm. the problem you're solving, but when you're doing like, you know, a semester's worth of algorithms and you have no idea where you would use them, it doesn't feel very connected to real life. But then at the same time, like if all you've done is, you know, you learn rails or JavaScript or something from screencasts and tutorials, you also don't feel like you know what you're doing either. Cause you're like, I don't know anything about these algorithms or big O notation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like just like everything about programming kind of leads to imposter syndrome in one way or th- another, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you, you mentioned briefly that you still sometimes feel that way. How do you manage that beyond just acknowledging what you've done well so far? How do you kind of, how do you feel that feeling? And then continue to show up and do work. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I just go practice it. You know, there's, there's like in school, you're giving like, you're given like, here's a new concept in math. Go like do this 40 times on your homework. Like we don't really do that. Uh, once you get out of school, but that's exactly like repetition is the way to learn something. So if you don't know how to write tests, like go try and do that 40 different times on different projects and you'll start to build up that confidence. And like my GitHub is full of repositories that were just experiments of like, I don't know how uh, IRC works. So I built a chat bot 
and mm-hmm. uh, just used what was it i think it was python and so i just like imagine i have only python no libraries to help me how do i connect to irc and send a message and receive a message and like i just did that because it could and i connected to like free node and it kicked me off because i didn't send a response to their ping and then i realized <laughs> oh that's how that works that's how it knows you're online mm-hmm. and i would go do that a ton of times and just create lots of throwaway stuff just to go teach myself how things worked and that i don't think i see very often in you know people's like professional careers like you don't you don't see a whole or you don't see enough experimentation but that's one of the things that like school did really well if you do something that many times it's going to start to click eventually um so that's kind of like what i do and it works for me it may not work for everybody so you know you may have to do what does work for you but i think a lot of people would benefit from trying something like that just build lots of throwaway stuff and don't have any intention of finishing it or anything like that. Um, and it's funny what happens with that because I will publish those things on GitHub open source. And then eventually sometimes I will get issues opened that were like, like one time I didn't know how Ruby gems worked. So I created a gem to generate a calendar and called it simple calendar, published it to Ruby gems just to learn the process and a month goes by or something and I hadn't finished it or whatever. Like it wasn't intended to be finished. And someone opens an issue and is like, the links don't work uh, when I try <laughs> this. And I was like, well, duh. Cause like you're not supposed to. So I went and fixed it and was like, okay, here you go. And you know, month goes by and another issue comes up and someone asks for, you know, can we add translations or something? And now that's been downloaded after you know me fiddling with this for a long time now it's been downloaded i don't know how many thousands of times it's like my most popular maybe repo on github or something too um but also (laughs) definitely my most popular ruby gem and it started from something that i was like i don't know how this works and i've never I, i mean i've come to use it in my own projects but there was no like purpose for it at the beginning. I just was like, eh, this, the other alternatives I don't really like. And maybe this is something I could re- retry as a good experiment. And yeah, that's like how that worked out. And, you know, that, that didn't necessarily continue teaching me stuff about um, publishing gems, but it taught me about how to, you know, deal with issues and pull requests and uh, just like versioning and releasing things. And it was a, it turned into this fascinating like learning experience just because I was screwing around one day and thought, Hey, maybe I'll try and do this for fun. Mm -hmm. And, and I shared it publicly and here we are. How did you go from a engineer who was building things for others for money to someone who is at this point a business owner and like an educator uh, as like one of your primary sources of income. Yeah. So, you know, this really all started back when I was using Linux and organizing tutorials um, for that computer that I had. And over the years, I was kind of 
so so I had this idea that I kind of figured out where I wanted to blog. Everybody wants to blog and we never have time for it or whatever. So I was writing some things down and some of it was just like ideas about business or whatever, product ideas or something. And then sometimes it was like technical blog posts. And at some point I realized like if someone, so if I have struggled with a problem and can't find the answer on Stack Overflow or whatever for more than four or five hours, I should just write down my solution in a blog post and publish that because mm-hmm. maybe it'll help someone else. And chan- like, you know, it could be something weird or whatever, but chances are someone else will find that. So I just started doing that. Just was a random thought I had that it might be useful. Six months go by and I'm Googling something else and I'm like, oh, this is annoying. I'm pretty sure I've seen this before. And I Google it. First result, perfect, like matching title. I click on it and uh, the answer is like right there, right away. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And I look at the site again and I'm like, this looks really familiar. And I realized it was my own website. (laughs) And like, I had no idea that six months down the road, I was going to run into the exact same problem. And by having written that blog post, like, I save myself a ton of time in the future, which is really strange. And that's when it like really started to click that I should continue doing this for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got into Rails, like I was learning a lot from Railscast. Ryan Bates' uh, videos on Rails were like phenomenal. There was nothing really like that in Python and coming to the Ruby community. It's kind of amazing the amount of you know, documentation, helpful people out there. So I watched those when I was like, I was worked for a couple agencies that did rails and also freelance myself. And there were so many times when I would get a project from someone and he would have published a video like a week before or something on one of the features I needed to build. So I became like a big, um, just addict to learning those from those videos because he would explain his thought process in the video fairly well. Whereas blog posts might skip over that or not explain it very um, fluidly or intuitively. And Mm -hmm. that um, kind of put me onto video and he eventually stopped doing that. And I eventually wanted to quit consulting because I really didn't like it. And didn't necessarily, I was in, into startups and stuff. So I was kind of trying to figure out how I could build my own products or something. And so at some point I decided to take a break from consulting and, uh, you know, build a product. And I thought I'd do like a course for rails developers who were wanting to get into consulting, um, it was something I kind of knew well and figured that would be something I could teach. But I put together the course and recording videos and listening to my own voice. And as a programmer, like your job is to think in your own head. Like you rarely are talking out loud unless mm-hmm. you're pair programming. So it, I didn't realize how hard it was to record screencasts. And it took me like three months and I'd forced myself to sit down every day and record 15 minutes, whether or not I kept it or threw it away. I just had to record just to get in the habit. And 
you know, work myself through it. Um, and so that eventually turned into like 10, no, 15 videos. I put five of them in a free course and then 10 in a paid course for like 40 bucks. And uh, that was the initial like thing I ever sold for Go Rails. And yeah, uh, I sold one every two weeks. So I made a whole like $80 a month when I, <laughs> when I started. And it just clearly wasn't going to go well because no one knew who I was. No one was going to trust me enough to give me their credit card to pay for that. <laughs> and uh, it was just a struggle. And I, I was like, you know, the weekly screencast that Ryan Bates had done, everybody loved. Um, it, it was a scary thing to make the commitment to do something every week when I could barely put together those 15 videos. Mm -hmm. So uh, at some point I was like, well, screw it. Like can't get much worse than this. So I decided to like just change those. And I, I made those courses like free and then started to make some paid videos. And, you know, people were like, why would I ever pay $9 for this? This isn't worth it. You don't even have, <laughs> you know, you only have 15 videos. Like why would I ever pay for this? And you know, luckily there were some supportive people, but, uh, that's like all where it started. I just like, didn't know how to do sales and marketing or anything and realized like, I guess I'm just going to have to publish lots of content. And Ryan Bates had been doing one free video and then one paid video every other week. Mm -hmm. And I figured I could do that and he's not doing it anymore. And people <laughs> seem to want you know, a continuation. And I don't want to try and copy what he's doing. I want to explain stuff in my style. And uh, yeah, it turned out that people seem to enjoy it and that they were willing to subscribe to that more than they were mm -hmm. to, to buy my course. And so it kind of all led to that, but it had, you know, been, I don't know, eight, eight years in the making or something for me of mm -hmm. written, having written tutorials or other things like that. Just, for myself and it, originally it was all about I want to write down my notes but publicly because they're going to help me but I might as well make them public because they might help someone else mm -hmm. and so that's kind of where um, all of that took me and it was a long long journey but here we are. Out of all of that is there a specific trait or maybe just habit that you have that you think makes you good at what you're doing? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I feel like one of the things that I remember being a kid when I was learning to code, there was a moment that clearly like changed my thinking where I realized that like, if you look at your computer or your telephone or TV or even a bookshelf, like it's all made out of pretty, when you break it down, like pretty simple stuff and programming, I guess, kind of opened my eyes to that, that, you know, yeah, Google might be pretty complicated, but if you break it down far enough, like every little piece is pretty simple. And I think that like just keeping that in mind helps a lot because a lot of the stuff that you do in programming seems pretty daunting, especially, you know, if you're learning web development, you have to learn HTML, CSS, how browsers work, DNS. You have to learn how domains work. Mm -hmm. You know, backend 
languages, HTTP, you have to learn how databases, background jobs, cron jobs, operating systems, RAM, everything. Like you have to keep all of this stuff in your head at one time. And that is very hard, but that's just the basics to build websites. Mm -hmm. Then you have to go build something where you've got to build some algorithms to do things and you can implement search and whatever else and permissioning and you name it. And so it feels really overwhelming. And I just like remember that, yeah, it is pretty overwhelming, but if we just keep breaking it down, it's not so bad. And you have to just kind of be able to notice when, uh, like when you're at a point where you don't know what you're doing and realize like, okay, instead of getting frustrated, I need to actually (laughs) stop and just poke around here. Like, what do I understand and what don't I understand? Mm-hmm. And then go explore that. Like, go read and go pick up, like, you know, computer science textbooks and read those or something, you know? Like, blog posts may or may not be good, um, but you can usually, like, go find something that covers the topic. So if you're mm-hmm. struggling with performance stuff, you can read a lot of blog posts which talk about performance but you could also go pick up like um you know like an operating system book and learn how the operating system handles memory pages and what page thr- thrashing is and how the operating system deals with threads and then you're going to start to realize like okay all of this in my programming language threading and processes are built on top of that so you know, I need to keep both of these in mind as I go build stuff. And it really isn't so bad, but you have to be aware that like there is other stuff that I have to learn in order to do this well. And it just takes a lot of time. And I guess I've already talked about this too, but like I do spend a lot of time just kind of repeating the same things over and over again, where a lot of people in Rails like to talk about not using the scaffolding and writing it from scratch. And it's a really great way to understand how the scaffolds work. If you write them from scratch over and over again, you'll make mistakes. Then you realize, oh, this is important because of this reason. It's going to throw an error here if I don't make that right. And you can do that and just drill these things in your own head. The, the repetition really makes a big difference. And I also try and clone stuff that I use every day if I want to understand how it works. So if you want to build Trello and learn how they do the front end drop JavaScript drag and drop stuff, go do that. You will learn a whole lot. And then you'll realize like, oh, I wanted to update when someone in another browser window does something. And Mm -hmm. you walk through those steps and clone Basecamp, you clone Twitter, you clone Facebook, Trello, whatever, Slack, all of those things are going to make everything seem a lot more trivial as you get through it because each one isn't really that complicated on their own. Um, and you're, you're also kind of realizing too that like I can go build a simple version of these, but where the meat of their work is, is like dealing with notifications in Slack. If you're signed in on your phone, your iPad, three, you know, desktop computers, 
what happens with notifications? Do we blow up all of those devices with a notification at mm-hmm. once? Or like, how do we keep track of the one you were last used in or last like using and use that first? And you're real, you'll realize that like the core of a lot of these applications are very simple, but then like the meat of that ends up being like the details and you don't need that. You don't need those details for a lot of things um, to wrap your head around how they work. So I, I do clone a lot of that stuff. And then it, it makes sense for the screencasts I do because people are asking, how how do I go build a embeddable chat widget like Intercom? Well, let's go mm-hmm. do that. And I'll go spend a week building that myself and then publish videos on how to do that. and it keeps me up to date very well that way. But it also over time makes me like really confident because you can throw more or less any problem at me. And I know at least where to go to figure out how to do it. I may not know how to do it off the top of my head, but I'm comfortable doing the research to figure out, you know, are there YouTube videos or tutorials or what do I even need to search for to go build this feature And you kind of have the experience of if I cloned 50 different apps, they each have different data architecture problems, which tends to be one of the harder things. Like how do I store the data for Slack versus the data for Twitter versus the data for Basecamp? And they all might need different things. And then all of your code ends up kind of um, being guided by how you've set up your data. So it really helps to kind of do that repetitively by not doing, you're not rebuilding the same thing 40 times, um, but you're building different things 40 times just for fun. And you realize like, wow, I could kind of clone anything or, you know, now tackle any challenge that someone might throw at me, whether it's your boss or a client or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been kind of, my strategy for ever, I feel like. Um, and I don't see a lot of people spending enough time just experimenting with stuff on the side or they'll like start, but never get to the meaty bits of it because that's where it gets hard and they'll give up before they get there. I always get through that and then stop. Like I never finish Mm -hmm. these ideas, but I have to make sure I get through the hard parts. So I understand my, my solution was good, or if it was bad, maybe I'll try it again with a new idea or approach. And that really, really helps. Like I said, uh, that offline um, open source tool that I did originally, I wrote that like 12 or 14 times from scratch because every time I was like, oh, this is how object-oriented programming can be done. And then I discover like, maybe if I organize my objects this way, it'll be better. And it, it took a lot of experimenting, but I eventually got to something I was happy with and was fairly efficient. But I'm sure if I rewrote it now, it would be like a fraction of the size way faster and, you know, way more flexible too. But, you know, the, the repetition really helped evolve it from something that like barely worked to something that was pretty robust and, you know, flexible to add features. And I had like a plugin system and whatever. So you could extend it. And like 
that was something I couldn't even fathom the first few times I wrote it. So I've really enjoyed that like repetition by doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So a question I always ask people that come on my podcast, and this is to make it make you, you seem a little bit more relatable and kind of humanize you um, for people that might watch your content and think that you kind of have it all figured out. Um, What's something that you consider yourself to be bad at? Oh man, Uh, definitely like, I feel like I'm way behind on front end stuff in general. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of changes in people's approaches to, you know, react and view and GraphQL and whatever else. And, uh, I find myself always just kind of being like, I don't, I don't understand a lot of the approaches here. I'm sure there are some benefits, but I, I feel like I'm way behind on, some of that, maybe I'm just not working on projects that need it. I, I don't know. And so I always kind of just fall back to my old ways. And uh, it always makes me feel like, man, like there must be something here more than just the hype. But I feel always behind on that. And uh, it's a thing that I'm slowly working on. But um, yeah, it just, you know, feels impossible to keep up with uh, in some level unless you're like directly needing that for your day job. And yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of, uh, you know, one of those things, or I guess the other thing is like never was really that good at um, algorithms and, and complicated math. So anytime that I have like worked on a project that was like, we're going to need an algorithm for this, never really felt like I was going to be able to do it well or implement it right. Um, and you know, it was just one of those things that just felt like I was never going to be good at that. I've gotten through whatever, you know, has been thrown at me, but I don't have any sort of confidence in being able to do complicated algorithms. Um, and I don't know if it's founded or not, but yeah, I've always avoided it. Uh, if you have one, what's your, your methodology for dealing with those areas of weakness or those fears? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a lot of what we've already talked about, just kind of finding the right book or something to think through it. A lot of times stuff is simpler than you think, but you need the right person to explain it to you. Like my screencast, like they might work for some people, but someone might think I'm just not relatable. And I feel like having certain math teachers in, in school, I just really struggled. Like I remember logarithms never could really wrap my head around it. And then later on, years later, someone else explained it. And I was like, are you serious? It's that simple. (laughs) And it just comes down, I think to, you know, finding someone who explains it in terms that you understand whether you need it to be you know, more simplified or something, or maybe someone just needs to explain it uh, with better examples. Like a lot of times the stuff we learned in school was like pretty dumb examples. But if someone was like, Hey, you're building this feature on Facebook and we need to deal with this, uh, then you'd be like, Oh, of course. And you'd be excited about it. And so Mm -hmm. I, I really do spend a lot of time trying to find someone who can explain it to me in a way that 
I can relate to. And I think that helps a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, Chris. I, I appreciate you being honest and kind of filling in some of uh, your history for us and, and letting me know kind of how, again, how you, how you deal with the things you struggle with. Really enjoyed learning from you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I think this is one of the things that like, you know, I wish I could have listened to back when I was learning to code. It was a, it could be a lonely path if you're teaching yourself. And even if you're not, it's still a pretty lonely path when you feel like you don't know what you're doing and just have like low self-confidence. So I think these are just kind of awesome to have just to realize that, you know, I might have published several hundred screencasts, but a lot of these new episodes I'll sit down. And if it's something new, I will have spent the previous week learning how to do it before I published it. And so I may not know it as well as you think I do. (laughs) So it's pretty funny. Uh, It always makes you feel like these people who are publishing, you know, tutorials or whatever, know what they're doing, but you know, it's not necessarily the case. (laughs) Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.